0: Hi everyone, this is Jessica Chen, and you are listening to the Communicating Confidently podcast. Each episode is meant to teach and inspire you to find new ways to level up your speaking skills. Because here's the truth, it's possible, and I'm so thrilled you're here. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit the follow button and share this episode with your friends and family. Now let's get into it. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Communicating Confidently podcast. Today's episode is all about leadership in a global world. And my guest is Patrick Mullane, and he is the executive director of Harvard Business School's online and executive education program. And we are going to be talking about the most important skills you need as a leader to navigate working in our hyper-connected world. We're also going to be sharing strategies on how to navigate leading people from different countries, how to elevate your executive presence virtually, and what it really takes to engage and motivate your team. We have so many golden nuggets that we are excited to share with you. So let's get into it. So Patrick, welcome to our Soulcast Media Live event. Hey,
1: Jessica. Thanks for having me. I feel a lot of pressure on my communication skills here, given given your own introduction.
0: You are going to be fantastic. So I'm very excited for you to join. I did a really, really brief introduction of who you are, the work that you do. I didn't mention that you're also an author too. But for our audience, who's meeting you and seeing you for the first time, give us a quick intro of who you are, the work that you do.
1: Sure. So Patrick Mullane, I, as you noted, and the executive director of HPS online and executive education, which uh, the best way to think about it is all of the non degree things we do at Harvard Business School fall under my purview. So there's the MBA program and there's non degree programs uh, that uh, many are probably familiar with that are offered by schools like us and, and other institutions around the world. I've been at Harvard Business School for about uh, seven years. Uh, and then before that, I was in the private sector uh, doing various jobs. I had been an entrepreneur. I'd run a manufacturing company. I'd been a consultant. It seemed like I did a lot. And, uh, and then before that, I was in the military myself um, right out of college. Um, and I came back to HBS because I got my own MBA at Harvard Business School uh, back in 1999. So I always had a thought that after doing some private sector work, maybe it'd be interesting to come back. And uh, so here I am, and it's been a wonderful experience.
0: So I'm really thrilled to jump into our conversation as well as I'm sure our audience is very eager. We have over 45 people who are live with us right now who I'm sure have so many thoughts on, okay, leadership in the global world. So to back up a little bit, Patrick, so for those who are wondering, so Patrick and I before, Patrick, when you and I were behind the scenes, you mentioned that you've had to always restart. And let me define this for folks who are hearing this. So, You are a military brat, meaning you grew up in a military family. And as a result of that, you've had to move around a lot from city to city and essentially restart and start over every single time, meaning probably have to make new friends, you know, rebuild who you are within that community. Tell me, how did you approach introducing yourself, getting to know people, building relationships with new people every few years? Because I feel like for a lot of people, that can be really stressful, too.
1: Yeah, it's a very interesting question. It's, it's funny, there was kind of an AB test in my family, if you will, because I have a twin sister. And so uh, what I'll say is that we're very different. So what worked for me didn't work for her. She did not like moving around. She didn't enjoy those new experiences. She was kind of a homebody, whereas I uh, tended to see those things as adventures. And in fact, I got a little bored if we stayed in one place too long. When we went to a new place, one thing that did help me out, to be frank, is that often there would be other military kids who are in the same boat. So that's always helpful to, to make those connections, but not always. And I think that uh, part of it was I had parents who just encouraged us to kind of be out there and in all ways, you know, make sure you try it out for sports teams, be, be involved in school activities and so forth. And if you do those things, if you make yourself present in in the presence of others who are engaging activities you might also like, it's really hard to not end up. Um, making a connection in some way so I think that really uh, really helped me and it really uh, solidified uh, in me this this ability to connect with other people uh, no matter the circumstances very early in my life um, you know most of my moving I moved it lived in i think eight places before I was 10 years old or something like that a ridiculous amount of moving and, and then and then in high school I got to stay in one place and I think that that um, that or those early years really formed me in some way that's very unusual for for a kid and was very helpful to me in my, in my life ever since then.
0: I have no doubt that a lot of the things that you learned as a child of learning how to adapt, be flexible. It's also really relevant to t- today's topic, which is leadership in a global world. So yeah. I want to just start with that. What does today's title mean for you too? leadership in a global world? And I'm sure a lot of it has to do with your upbringing and your influences as well. But let me know, does it? What does it mean to you?
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I actually have given that some thought when we talked about what the title of this would be, and I think the uh, this is going to sound very cliche and very simple, but I believe it to be true after being a general manager my entire life, is that it doesn't matter the culture, the country, the context. Is that people are people, <laughs> that the same issues, problems, uh, successes you have with one group. Uh, are going to be, uh, very, very similar, if not identical to those you'll have with another group. We all have ambitions, dreams, jealousies, pettiness, uh, get frustrated about, you know, certain things. And, and so I found that, uh, early on, I thought that that was an outlier thing. Like, you know, you work with a, I, I, my first general management job was in the military myself, where I was managing a team of, of, uh, contractors of about 20 or 30 people. And, um, and early on, you know, you don't know enough to know that everything you experience in an environment like that, um, both the good and the bad, is just going to be the same in every job you'll have after that, but just in a different context. Um, you know, I often make the comment that when I applied, uh, found out about this job at Harvard Business School and wanted to come back to it, it was for the online job specifically to start. Um, the, the, the requirements in the job description, I didn't fit a, a single one of them. But I did know that in the end, it was a leadership job, and if you can lead an organization that makes auto parts, you know, I really truly believe you can lead an organization that designs web pages, uh, because all the problems are the same, and they all start with people. And to get the people right, everything else is easy. So I went a bit on a tangent there, but that's my answer to that question about uh, about the global uh, aspect to this discussion: is that people are people.
0: I absolutely love that and i cannot agree with you more and it's funny because i'm in the process of actually writing a whole new communications course and this one's actually teaching folks how to manage a global team and as i'm literally knee deep in writing this content right now and it's funny because everything that you're saying is exactly what i'm also talking about in this course yes of course there are different cultural nuances that we we should be mindful of that's unique to every country but you said it patrick I think it's just simply understanding human nature and just, and that is something we can all learn, right? There's tons of books out there where people have written about how do people think, how do people behave, how do they react? And I truly agree with you. Just having that foundational understanding of human nature, it almost can give you, you're kind of halfway there in learning how to deal with people.
1: Yeah, it's I think you're even be- further. I think you're further along, but yes, I mean it's a it's a huge part of it, no doubt about
0: it. I was trying to be conservative. I'm like, yeah, you're already <laughs> 50% there, but you're probably like you're you're 95% there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really?
1: I think that's probably true.
0: <laughs> right. So it's crazy though. Okay. So I really have to ask you this question because when you said this, I was like, I need to ask him about this. Cause you said when you first applied for this job at Harvard Business School, you're looking at the job description, which many people look at job description, they're like, holy moly. I don't have any experience doing this a lot of people would simply be like mm, i probably won't get the job but you still had that you know what i'm gonna apply because i do have leadership abilities so let me just you know do it can you walk me through what was going through your mind at that time
1: yeah actually uh this one i can draw a direct line back to my childhood is my parents were very i mentioned earlier very uh big about getting us to to take initiative and get involved in things and Um, You know, there was this many things you get involved in in your school days, often, especially with athletics, there will be a tryout. Right. And Mm -hmm. it's easy to self-doubt and say, well, I'll never make it. Um, You know, I don't have what it takes. Um, And uh, I was into basketball at the time. And I remember my father and mother saying, hey, you know, stop commiserating about this and go try out and see what happens. Um, Now, here's the kicker. This isn't a Hollywood uh, happy ending. I I didn't make the team. I got cut. So uh, but. But even that lesson was, I realized that I had overestimated my own skills relative to the other people who were trying out, and that then I rededicated myself over the next, you know, year. Actually, exactly a year. And the next year, I went to the tryout the team, and I'll I'll never forget this. The coach called me forward after the first day of tryouts. There were usually two cuts. There was a cut after the first day and a cut after the second day. Um, By cut, I mean for those who aren't familiar with the term, you know, people being removed from the mix that just aren't going to be on the team. And uh, and he pulled me forward and said, "Hey, I want to." tell everybody that Patrick here is going to make the team this year, which was shocking to me because, you know, I thought we still had one more day to go everybody else did, but apparently I didn't. And he made, he, he said, look, last year, he, he wasn't ready. And I know he was in here practicing hard and, and he's shown that he's gotten better and this is what can happen if you get cut. So don't be discouraged. So that is, that is a uh, really, really stuck with me And that, that lesson about, you know, trying even when you don't think you have it, I think is very important. Now I also, um, you know i also knew that in the case of harvard business school harvard business school teaches leadership um and so and it understands the importance of uh of the the leader having experience in doing that piece well because if you can do the leadership piece well as i alluded to earlier you can learn the the product and so to their credit i think they looked past the fact that i didn't have you know 10 years of digital marketing experience and said mm-hmm. oh well Um, He knows the school because he went here. He's been a leader since he graduated from undergraduate school. Let's take a chance. And so here I am.
0: I can't even imagine what that interview process must have been like, because you probably wowed them so much that they're like, you know what, you just really like Patrick. And we just- I I
1: don't know about that. I'll I'll tell you this. It was about 20 interviews. We don't do them short here. That was for sure.
0: (laughs) You're like, at this point, I'm like, I'm exhausted.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's true.
0: I, I honestly, I think that's such a powerful story, though, because it kind of just shows that, and you just said it, it, it was linked to your childhood of, of like, you know, what, sometimes you just got to try, you have to yeah. make a convincing case out of it. And you're right, even though your skills on paper did not necessarily match this role, you were able to make other arguments that essentially yeah. helped sell yourself as, as a candidate, right, at the yeah. time.
1: And by okay. the way, I think that's that gets easier as you get more experience. It's. it's I don't want to candy-coated either. It's harder when you're younger because you don't have the breadth of experience. Mm -hmm. But uh, for those who might be on the younger uh, end of the spectrum who who are tuning in, um, you know, be conscious of that while you're learning because uh, having a broad base of experiences can set you up for really cool opportunities later in life.
0: Broad set of experiences. I want to echo that because I think sometimes a lot of us, when we're on our day-to-day working, right, we can get so siloed in doing just what we have to do, checking off that to-do list. But I always encourage folks to think about how can you expand your experience, expand your knowledge, expand your network? Because honestly, the more things you can do, the more interesting of a person you are as well. I'd like to think so. For sure. Because, yeah, Patrick, I mean, you're an author too. And I know we've connected on that level too, because I'm in the process of writing a book. But I always encourage folks and actually, Uh, A few months ago, I had one of my friends come on, who is he actually long is the chairman of Citibank in the Asia region. And he said the exact same thing. He not only is he, of course, in the finance sector in a high leadership role, but he loves racing cars. He loves, you know, eating like he has a whole, honestly, a whole bucket of things that interest him. And he always says anytime he's talking to people, he can always pinpoint, oh, you like that? I I know something about that, yeah. right? Otherwise, if all you do is just focus on like that one thing, it will be harder to build relationships with people because if you if they haven't seen that one movie that you've seen, mm, it's going to be kind of hard to converse with them, right? It's says
1: that I've never heard anybody say that before other than myself, but I agree so much I, it's, it's kind of a joke in my family whenever I meet somebody it's rare I can't connect with them in some way about where they're from not necessarily because I've been there but because I might know something about the history of the place or I you know had a friend of a friend who lived there or you know I worked on a on a project where um you know the, the product was going to be sold in that in that region or country so I couldn't agree more that's really really helpful in uh in growing your network and when you grow your network you, you grow yourself and you grow your business opportunities for sure.
0: In my I, So in the book that I'm writing right now, I talk about this and I call these points of significance. And as people, and when we're communicating with other people, it's so critical to be an active listener, right? And I think you can probably agree with this, but it's when you're conversing with somebody and this is for those who are watching and trying to find some communication tips. This is a communications tip. It's when you are engaging with somebody, being mindful and picking up cues of, oh, they mentioned that, or they mentioned this. Let me add on to something. Actually, one of my clients that I was working with, she's she's a CFO of a large company up in the Bay Area, and I've been working with her on her communications. And, and she always, and she admitted it, she had trouble connecting with people. But I told her, you know, it's sometimes as simple as saying, oh, the color of your shirt, that's the color of my alma mater, right? And just yeah. kind of using that, something as simple as that to start a conversation, yeah. it can go a long way.
1: Uh, No doubt. Yeah, I think. uh, And also sometimes when you don't know what to say, just asking somebody to say more about something they said helps. You know, if they say, you know, oh, I love Costa Rica. Oh, tell me why. You know, you've been there. But, you know, do you have relatives from there? What's the story? Um, I find that can work well as well.
0: So linking this back to our topic today, leadership in a global world. I think what Patrick and I are essentially just honing in on is that it's not so difficult to build connections when you are engaging with people in a global environment. And it goes back to what we just said earlier. It's this understanding of human nature. People for the most part do enjoy talking about themselves if you ask them, right? If you show genuine interest and genuine curiosity. So I'm actually curious and I wanna get our audience here, which by the way, we have close to 50 people who are live right now joining us and that's fantastic. Very global too, I noticed. Very global, which is amazing. I feel like if everybody can just let us know where what kind of industry are you in like are you in a company that is global um what's the role that you're in it'd be really interesting to hear where everybody is dialing in from and what role they are in but one question i have for you patrick okay so for people who perhaps are interested in wanting to expand their reach in terms of you know because i imagine people who are watching this right now they have some interest in leadership or something in the global environment do you have any tips for people for, you know, how can I get started or how can I position myself so that I am a good candidate to really represent my organization? Or, you know, just what are your thoughts about this? Yeah, I think one thing
1: that I let me start by saying what I I don't think alone does it. I I do think, and you know, we're on the medium of LinkedIn here, which I'm a big fan of and I use it a lot, but it's very hard to just make cold call connections through LinkedIn. I still think that fundamentally um, knowing people who know people uh, and can introduce you is, is pretty critical. And that starts, um, whether we like it or not, with people that we're physically around. And so, uh, A, I would make sure that you you know people connect with those who are in their immediate sphere, in their neighborhoods, in their, in their jobs, uh, in their schools, whatever the, the uh, context might be. Um, and then the other thing is to is to put yourself out there. I mean, we keep going back to the same theme, but when at work, uh, you know, there somebody's looking for a volunteer for a particular project, or even if they're not looking for volunteers, you making sure you let your supervisor know that you're interested in taking on uh, more projects and doing something different. Um, by virtue of doing those things, you can't help but get connected to other people, and those connections then over a long period of time. And by the way that's the other thing is don't be impatient you are kind of playing the long game here i feel like i'm getting to be an old man now talking to youngsters out there but uh you'll have plenty of time and uh nurturing those relationships that you have no matter how few they may be to start um it's rare that that doesn't blossom into something else um the other thing that's interesting is i i would argue and you know it may sound a bit self-serving but is seeking new educational opportunities um, you know, coming to get my MBA introduced me to a whole new cadre of people that I otherwise would have never known. And, and frankly, a, a group of people that are pretty darn impressive and that I still keep in touch with. That happened to me in the military. It happened to me when I went to undergraduate school. I went to master's degree but between the two. So I, I had a lot of schooling and I ended up meeting a ton of people through those uh, opportunities and have maintained those connections, which have helped uh, you know advance my career. And then, uh, you know, frankly, getting to our uh, another topic that you and I are passionate about, which is communication, is that to the extent that you have a lot of conversations, I know this sounds silly, um, you do develop communication skills. And, and while, yes, you may develop them on an interpersonal basis, finding opportunities to communicate in front of larger groups by giving presentations, for example, I think is very, very critical uh, for advancement.
0: Okay. Speaking of communications, was communication something, Patrick? something that came natural to you was, I don't know, are you introverted, extroverted? Is going out and just speaking to a, a new group, something that you're very comfortable with? Like, where are you on the communications and do you continue to improve on this skill?
1: Uh, so yes, I'm an extrovert. I, I think uh, those that work with and for me would would say that uh, <laughs> emphatically. Um, and uh, yeah, as far as uh you know, standing in front of a group and speaking, that's that's generally always been easy for me. And it's gotten easier as I've gotten older. In fact, recently we had a, a combined meeting of the two groups that I am responsible for in a large auditorium on campus at Harvard. And, and I had a number of questions afterwards, people asking me, are you, you know, don't you get nervous doing that? And it's funny, I, I really don't. In fact, actually, I don't get very many nerves at all anymore, but I get a lot more nerves when it's a smaller audience than a really large audience. A larger mm-hmm. audiences, we are, uh, are a little easier. Um, so yeah, it's 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 been. Um, I, I certainly would say there's some. Uh, I don't know how much of this is nature nurture, but I've certainly had uh, an affinity for that from a very young age. Um, With respect to the issue of of getting better at it, it's a really good one. You know, I've tried more recently to be more conscious of deliberately being better at it. I mean, I think I've improved just kind of organically because I do it a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, But I am trying to be more conscious of of how to, for example, get a point across with fewer words or use when I'm doing a presentation using imagery on a slide, not words, you know, something that tells a story. I think if you can do that well, um, you're going to be much more interesting to listen to.
0: do you ever feel that somebody can reach the epitome of fantastic communications? Or do you feel like it's something that people can always improve on?
1: No, I think you can always improve. I mean, I, uh, you know, in fact, if you ask me, um, who's the best speaker I ever saw, I'm not sure I could name who that was probably because I could always think of something to nitpick about it. Um, and, uh, and, you know, in fairness, that person could turn around and you know, find 20, 20 more on me. So I'm not, it's not meant to say that I, I'm perfect on it because I'm not. But I do think that uh, that it's, you know, as we used to say, mathematics and asymptotically mean the, the line approaches some limit, but it never really reaches it. I think that's kind of what uh, communication skills are like and leadership skills for that matter.
0: So you mentioned that you don't really get nervous when you're speaking, but I know this is very nerve wracking for a lot of people. So please share, How do you not, what do you, do you do anything to to not feel nervous when you're in front of a group? Or if you do, how do you get over those nerves?
1: Yeah. um, You know, one thing that, um, and I don't know if this is helpful to other people, because I know everybody's different to your point. Some people are just, you know, it's that old, that old adage about how, you know, next to dying, it's the second most feared thing in the world (laughs) is speaking, Um, is that I, uh, I, I think to myself, whenever I have sat in an audience, um. I and I think almost all audience members typically are giving the speaker their goodwill like they're not they're not there to criticize you. They're not yeah. there to tear you apart. There are some exceptions here. I mean, if you're going to if you give speeches on college campuses about, you know, highly charged political issues, you know, that, <laughs> all bets are off. Right. But for the most part, if you're if you're speaking at a conference on blockchain or on leadership mm-hmm. or, or on the future of online education, whatever it is. Uh, the people have showed up there and want to listen to you because they think you have something to say about that topic. So reminding yourself that that they come into that place with a mindset of goodwill makes it, I think, take some of the pressure off. They're not looking to tear you apart. Um, that still makes it hard, I know for a lot of people, and sometimes for me too, by the way, it makes it really hard to um, to not get you know a little bit nervous. I'll tell a quick and funny story once though. I went to a an event with my wife um, that had like 300 people at it. And we went to check in. They said, oh, Mr. Mullane, welcome. We're looking forward to your talk today. I knew nothing of having to give a talk. Uh, but they, they, they wanted just a few words, you know, about, you know, is about our company being in this town. And um, as we we're walking away, my wife said to me, oh, my gosh, are you nervous? Don't don't tell any jokes. Be humble and keep it short. And then she asked again, are you nervous? And I said, well, I wasn't until now. And there's almost that thing where unless somebody introduces the doubt, you, you won't have it yourself. So, um, so yeah, I think just reminding yourself of that goodwill aspect of the listener is really helpful.
0: That's such a funny story. It's like, I wasn't nervous, but now I am. <laughs> no, <laughs> are, you, are you suggesting that I should be yeah. working?
1: <laughs> your loved ones are always tougher. Actually, your loved ones are probably the ones that don't come in with goodwill. They're, they're looking to be critical. So maybe that's part of the issue.
0: This is so true. You know, I do so many workshops and I do a lot of speaking engagements, but I actually have done only very few of them in front of my husband too, because sometimes I just get shy. It's so I'm weird. I don't know sure. if it's because I'm like, this is a part of me that, you know, he doesn't often see, but if I'm in front of like hundreds of people, I, I kind of put on this different hat of like, you know, this is Jessica with Soulcast Media, but you know, with my husband and I have a, I have a 10 month old baby. It's, I feel like it's just like a different side of me that yeah. it's like, who are you? <laughs> I can
1: relate.
0: So By the way, I'm looking at the chat function right now, and it's so neat to see how people are dialing from so many different industries. We have the pharma industry. We have tech. We have a lot of folks in healthcare, financial services. This is so neat. And this is what I love about these events because, yes, we get people from all over the world, but we have such a diverse set of folks from different industries converging on a topic that arguably we are all interested in. So I want to, again, kind of hone in a little bit more on communications because here at Soulcast Media, that is what we do. We do communications. So Patrick, like you said, you're you're fairly intro- extroverted and you don't really get nervous, but what do you do to prepare? Because you mentioned that you do do a lot of speaking in, in that regards, whether it's short or long form, what's your process when you're thinking about Okay, I have to speak at this event or to to my team. How do you formulate, or how do you approach it? Is there any strategy for you?
1: Yeah, i I had some good advice once that um, and actually, and, and I'll tie this to leadership too because I think this is true, is that you're more effective generally as a communicator, and you're much more effective as a leader if you can tell a story. and And when I say that, I, I mean it both literally and kind of figuratively. So, you can tell a story to, you know, open up a discussion just to kind of get people loose and, and make yourself loose as well. Um, but you also, um, I, I like to describe something uh, as a narrative thread. It's nice to have throughout a, a presentation, no matter what it's about, a, a story that you can start with and maybe go back to at the end, because I think it does a nice job of bookending a topic and emphasizes what's in the middle. So I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of doing that. Um, part of it comes from, by the way, um, I've learned a lot while well, I've been at Harvard Business School. For those who don't know, we, we teach using what's called the case method of learning, which is basically learning through storytelling. You know, you you read something about a real manager facing a real problem, and then you're asked to put yourself in their shoes and, and let the world know what you would do to solve that problem. And so um, th- that uh, pedagogy, that way of teaching, I've learned is very effective. And I think it's effective because our brains are wired to want to listen to stories. So I'm really big on no matter the topic, trying to weave a story in from beginning uh, to end. Now sometimes if it gets to be relatively technical, I'm, I you know I know this can be this can be tougher, um, but I think that anybody who is is either leading because I do think that people are getting back to this issue about humans, um, you know, ha- having similar things in their DNA. One of those similar things is a joy of storytelling. It's the reason that Hollywood's a billion dollar industry or built multi billion dollar industry. That, you know, if you can really focus on that, it, it helps you think more creatively about what you want to present and it makes the people who are listening much more engaged
0: storytelling is one of the most powerful medium to get an idea across. And I I, I do want to hone in on this idea of storytelling because it is also relevant in a business scenario too. a lot of people like, Oh, storytelling that's humanities that has nothing to do with me. Right. That's like social studies or anything, you know, but from honestly, and I want to hear your thoughts on this, Patrick, what does storytelling have to do with business? Now I'll answer this first. So last week, my husband and I, we actually attended a Yale event. My husband went to Yale. So Patrick, I'm like Harvard, Yale, different. But... And my son's at
1: Yale, so it's okay. Oh, yes, okay. Yeah.
0: So my husband went to Yale. And uh, it was very interesting. Yale's doing this, and you might've heard, I don't know if you've heard of it, Patrick, but they're doing this whole campaign about humanities and storytelling. And that was the event that we ended up going to together. Mm-hmm. They had a panelist, because um, we were we're in California. And so they were holding this event hosted by Yale up in Hollywood. So their panelists were people who are working, of course, in Hollywood. And these are producers, writers. And of course, they start talking about storytelling. And all of them were not, of course, they have to, they're writing scripts, right? But they're also talking a lot about how when they're doing their research for writing stories, right, they are looking into very technical fields to understand how can I marry this technical concept and put it into a storytelling form? And I think this is still very relevant to understanding story in a business setting, including using data. Actually, today, I just published a LinkedIn um, newsletter about data storytelling and how you can marry data and stories together. I always tell folks, numbers are just numbers. We are the ones that give it meaning, and we give it meaning by putting a face behind it. But Patrick, how do you think about stories, and how do you make a business case telling stories?
1: Well, I the if you think about business strategy and vision, which, you know, anybody who's taken any kind of basic business course, you know, you, you hear all the work, talk about sitting down and writing a vision statement. So, you know, where you're going, where you're leading this organization. And, and I think that has an important place, but um, it doesn't have an important place at getting back to this idea of a narrative thread, something that ties that thing way out in the future to today. So being able to, to, you know, tell a story. Again, this isn't quite as literal as we mean it. It's not like, you know, once upon a time, Uh, but, but there is, there is this element of reminding people as a leader that, hey, this is where we're trying to go. This is what we're going to do today to get there. And then repeating that over and over again. And that's Mm -hmm. your, that's the link between the present and the past. And the, to the extent that every story has a beginning, a middle, and an end, that's exactly what you're trying to navigate. You have the beginning, which is today. You have the middle, which is what you're going to be doing tomorrow. And you have the end, which is where you want to be when you're done doing whatever you're doing tomorrow. And so I think that if you can uh, find a way to you know, tell people who you're responsible for that this is our vision, but by starting today and moving through this progression to the future, you're going to have much more likelihood that you'll get to where you're going. We actually... We use a formal strategic planning tool that does exactly that in HBS um, executive education and online, and it seems to work really well. It gets kind of people buy into it because they can see why what they're doing today matters for tomorrow.
0: Storytelling and why it's relevant in a global world. When I think about this connection, I think about how it's true. A lot of us have had experiences that other people have not had and vice versa, but even though... People may not have had the same experiences as as you. When you tell a story, you you are essentially evoking emotion. Emotion is what all of us can relate to, regardless Mm -hmm. of where we are in the world. Happiness, sadness, frustration, stress, right? Mm -hmm. When you talk about that, ah, I get it, right? Even though you and I perhaps are in different industries. So I think that's where the power of storytelling is.
1: I would agree. I mean, yeah. Sorry, go on, go
0: on. Oh no, no, no. I was going to say because we didn't really talk about this, but you also wrote a memoir. You were you wrote a book, so I'm sure thinking about stories is something that you're constantly thinking about as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, it's funny when I when I wrote uh, the book. Um, We just call it the father, son and holy shuttle. And my father was an astronaut. So I grew up in kind of a unique family. And and so the book is a humorous memoir about growing up in a in a kind of unique family and while while my father was doing things that could get him killed. Um, And uh, I originally sat down to write little vignettes to share with my children. I didn't have the intention of publishing it as a as a memoir. Um, and to your point though, I, sh- I shared it with people and what I found was my own experiences, cause it's a very raw book and not raw in the sense that it's traumatic or anything Raw in the sense that I don't really hold much back. I talk about the good, the bad, the ugly with respect to my own childhood and, and so forth. But what I was surprised by, and I don't know why, because as a reader, I'd experienced this myself was how many people who grew up in completely different contexts related to what you were just talking about, the emotions of given events. And, you know, being embarrassed as a teenager, Mm -hmm. you know, being thrilled uh, when when something good happened to you, you know, all those sorts of things. Um, And so uh, when I was was writing it, I didn't really have that that idea in mind. And now looking back on it, it seems silly I didn't because of what you said. People, a good story people relate to even if it has nothing to do with their own life. And Mm -hmm. it's the reason novels are popular, right? I mean, obviously most of us have not lived in Nazi Germany. Most of us have not flown to the moon. But if you read a great story about both of those things, you learn something and you learn something about yourself. Um, I think that's the power of it.
0: Okay. So I want to pivot a little bit because I want to get your insight as the executive director at Harvard Business School. Can you let us know, know, from a, a university perspective, from a business school perspective, what are you seeing are the most important skills to really succeed in a global world. So what are you seeing are the most popular classes? What are you seeing are the skills that are needed? I'm sure this is something our audience can also think about as they continue to up-level their skills. Yeah,
1: I think there's, so it's interesting, there's two things. The, The tried and true um, topic areas of a lot of business curriculums haven't changed and are still popular. You know, if you want to learn some accounting, some finance, mm. um, you know, we we have online courses and in person courses for those uh, sorts of uh, disciplines. Um, what I would encourage people to do, though, is to make sure that they they add those kind of tactical skills, but in equal measure, really work on the softer skills, what we typically call softer skills. So those are things like communication. Those are things like leadership. Um, Those are things like uh, empathy. I know it sounds silly, but learning how to be more empathetic, um, which by the way, I need to learn how to be more empathetic. I'm not, I'm certainly no saint in this regard. Um, And because in the end, um, I've always said this, I've said this for decades, but I think I found it to be true for almost every company and every senior manager who does any hiring is that if you give me two people who are exactly the same, with the exception of one difference, let's say you're hiring somebody to be a, I'll pick something like a uh, a software developer, you know, something very technically uh, driven. If you have two software developers and on a scale of one to 10, their skills in software development, this person is a 10 and this person is a seven. And then when it comes to the, what I call their EQ, you know, not my term, but their emotional quotient, mm-hmm. how, how well they relate to other people, how well they work on teams and so forth. And the person who has the 10 in, in software development is a four on that scale. But the person who has a seven on that software development is an eight, nine, or 10 on that scale. I'll take the person with less software development skills any day because individual contributors in this world, for the most part, and there are exceptions, um, don't, I shouldn't say individual contributors, people who, who are islands under themselves because they don't want to be part of a team and because they don't do the work uh, to figure out how to be empathetic, how to relate to other people. Um, A, people aren't going to want you on your team, and B, your employment opportunity is going to be very limited. So I think it's really important to to work on those uh, soft skills. Now, what's interesting is you may ask yourself, well, like I run an online group, how do you learn soft skills in an online education course? Which, by the way, most of ours don't have live teaching either. It's all asynchronous, meaning Mm -hmm. there is no live faculty teaching. But our faculty have done a great job of creating programs where, for example, in one of them, you have to fill out a very deep, uh, before you start the program, a very deep self-assessment about who you are. You know, it's an instrument where you get results back. So when you take the course, you already have a view into who you are, and the course keeps pulling you back to that. So you can learn more about yourself. And learning more about yourself is critical to getting those EQ skills, those emotional skills uh, really ramped, ramped up. But you need both of them. One uh, one or the other by themselves isn't very useful. The two together, man, that is, that's superpower sort of stuff.
0: That is powerful stuff. I love how you said that, though. It's, you know, you rather take the person who has less technical skills, but high soft skills, emotional intelligence, because arguably, that person is going to be a better team player is going to be willing to learn. And I honestly agree. I think that is, those are the kind of people your team wants to work with. And I'm very curious, I'm sure for the folks who are on here, which we have almost 50 of you all, if you think back to the people who you do enjoy working with, why do you enjoy working with them? Right. Is it because they are more open minded or are they just combative, Right. People yeah. generally don't want to work with people who are constantly combative, arguing, defending. Right. I think people who have great soft skills, great communication skills, great empathy, you know, any of those things, they are open minded. And I think that is really the formula of what makes a really good team. Now, that's interesting. OK, so you're saying, at least at Harvard Business School, what you're seeing, the skills that people really enjoy or at least are most popular yes is those technical skills but that's actually really reassuring for me to hear that the future leaders you know who are at who are at harvard business school they are wanting to up level their soft skills oh yeah so there's
1: there's a substantial amount of coursework in the mba program in our in-person executive education that is related to the self you know because if you if you don't understand that and you don't improve it then everything else doesn't really matter There's plenty of people that had lots of smarts, but just could not lead a team or rally a team or, you know, get people to feel connected to them in a way that would really make them successful. And, and, you know, the literature is littered with failures because of that.
0: And I will also say leadership is not just for leaders. I think anybody at any level can learn leadership skills. In fact, I feel like those who learn leadership skills early on, they're positioning themselves to get into a leadership manager role, even though they may not be. in. I've always been very interested in actually leadership as well. Even when I was, I think like when I first graduated college, when I was 21, I was already starting to read leadership books because what I love about leadership is it actually teaches you about people. I honestly yeah, think exactly. You
1: would touch on something there, this self-leadership idea. My father, I'll steal one of his stories. You know, he 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 was unusual in that he knew from the day he was born, he wanted to be an astronaut. And this was and he was born in a day when there was no such thing as an astronaut. But you could see it coming. Um, he was born right at the end of World War II. Um, but every, everybody who had become an astronaut up until that point in his life, when, when he wanted to do it, when he came into the years where he could apply, had been a fighter pilot. He wasn't a fighter pilot. He flew in the backseat of airplanes. He was a navigator, like a goose in Top Gun. That was my dad's job. And no gooses had ever been selected to be astronauts. And so he thought his dream was dead. But he said, you know what, I'm just going gonna, gonna to be the best I can be at whatever I'm doing and really focused on doing that. Well, lo and behold, the NASA changed the rules about 10 years after he thought his dream was done. And he got selected in the very first group of spatial astronauts because, as he likes to say, I kept on doing my, my best when I didn't. When most people thought it didn't count, um, it matters that you think it counts and that you you push yourself. That's the self leadership uh, that we're that I'm talking about. And if you do that, then good things will happen to you. It may take time. It may not be in the form you expect, but if you do those things, good things will happen.
0: There, are, I feel like that's that. Not- that internal fire, right? That, you know, you're not letting external influences influence you because there's always going to be people around you criticizing, you know, being negative. But I think it's kind of what you said. is just having that, inter- that, that internal fire to say, in the end, I'm I'm almost, I'm almost doing this for myself because I do want to be the best I can be. So for those who are watching and listening, it's, you know, the question for you all is, what is it that you are doing? Is it something that you love? if it is, how can you continue to pursue? And hey, you know, if you're doing something that you don't necessarily enjoy, how can you pivot and expand your knowledge, your skills to do something else? Because truly, with online education, learning, it's so accessible these days. I mean, I'm a LinkedIn learning instructor. Um, You all can have access to that. You know, it's just like It's there, it's on the internet. It's just you have to take the time. Of course, sometimes you have to pay, but a lot of it is not that that expensive, honestly, to learn how to upskill, up level what it is. So we're about to wrap up here. By the way, I feel like this conversation just flew by. So, Patrick, as we start to wrap up here, what are some, I like to call them golden nuggets. What are some golden nuggets you'd like to share with our audience of leadership in a global world? If people were to walk away from today's event, remembering this one thing, what would you want that one thing to be?
1: Um, I'm going to steal something that Vivek said in the chat, which is that soft is hard. I, it, you know, that it, it's easy to not work on those soft skills, uh, be it communications, you know, leadership, empathy, the things we were talking about. Um, because there they are more amorphous, there's less content out there that addresses these things, um, and because it really, really takes self-reflection to do it well. So uh, I would encourage people to really focus on those areas. The, the hard skills will come. Um, you know, Most people know how to get those. The soft skills are tougher. So spend time on them, and I think uh, you know, you'll find that you can improve over time.
0: I almost think that the synonym to leadership is soft skills. Yeah, I I think that's what it needs, what leadership needs leadership and leading well is really going back to what we just talked about in the very beginning. It's human. It's human nature. It's understanding people, what motivates people. And I think if you are a leader or an aspiring leader and you know what motivates people and gets them to do the work, gets them to feel inspired. I mean, that's leadership. These days, leadership isn't so much dictating and telling people, you got to do this, you got to do that. It's being it's going in with a collective mentality, right? I don't know. Is this something that you've seen too, Patrick or the definition of leadership? Has that changed?
1: Yeah, no, I, I think so. I mean, it, it is, as you said, it's all it's all about the people side of what yeah. you do, and uh, it doesn't matter how smart you are. People don't follow smart, um, at least not alone. They follow people they feel that inspire them and that treat them well and understand their position and and help their help those that work with and for them to aspire to greater heights. You know, basically to be able to do uh, do with your leadership what they may not have been able to do without it. Um, but that said, it's not a heavy hand, like you said. It's not. It's not about telling him exactly what to do. In fact, that doesn't usually work. It's just setting the right circumstances, um, you know, so that in the right culture, so that it can happen organically. And if you can do that, then you know, some magic happens for sure.
0: I always tell folks, think back to a manager that you really enjoyed working for. What was it that you enjoyed working with them? Like, what was it about them? I mean, I, I chances are there was a big part of it. They made you feel. Like they that you were in a psychologically safe space, right? Yeah. Where where you could ask questions, you can share what's on your mind, and they weren't there to criticize you, right? Yeah. So I think I think that's what leadership is. It's you know it's not reserved for. And this is kind of like the closing conclusion of our talk today is just understanding that leadership it's not necessarily the technical skills. It's really understanding people and mm-hmm. it's being a good team player. Leadership is the soft skills, which is something that we can all learn. Education is very accessible these days. And I think you can definitely vouch on that too. You know, whether you are at Harvard Business School's online education or not, right? You can learn soft skills anywhere, really. And and I think that is really leadership today. So, Patrick, where can people find you if they want to stay connected with you? Um, Please let everybody know.
1: Well, I'm on LinkedIn, (laughs) Patrick (laughs) Millane. You see my name there. And uh, my email address is Patrick at com. so I can be reached there as well. And I have a website with the same URL as my email address uh, at uh, com. So all those places.
0: I have to ask if anybody's curious, like if people want to apply for Harvard Business Online School, how do they do that? Is it really hard to get in? How can they position themselves to get in?
1: Yeah, they, uh, it's online.hbs.edu and they can see our online programs. And if they search uh, Harvard Business School Executive Education, they can see some of our in-person programs, too. Again, these are the non-degree programs and because they're non-degree they're not they're, they're it's not like you know only 2% of people who are applying get in in fact we're we're looking to be more expansive because we're a mission driven institution and we love we believe what we have to teach matters to the world so if uh, if you think getting back to what we said before if you think you'd be somebody who would excel at it then apply you never know
0: so here at Soulcast Media we are all things communications and for those who have attended This event or other future events, you know, like I mentioned earlier, we host these about two times a month. So we have another one coming up in about a week and a half. So for those who are interested in attending that one, head to our website, soulcastmedia.com. That is where we post all our events. For today's event, if you missed anything that Patrick and I talked about, you jumped on late and you want to catch all the golden nuggets that we talked about, be sure to check out our Soulcast Media VIP Pass. We combine all our tips from this event as well as all our events together for you. So you don't have to watch a whole hour worth of content. We essentially put it together for you. So that's the VIP Pass, which you can see here on our screen. As a bonus, and this is I'm just letting you all know for the first time, I'm going to be doing an office hour for our VIP Pass holders. So we're going to be opening up a session where I'll be It will be on Zoom where I'll be meeting all our VIP folks. So if you grab a VIP pass, that is a great way for you to meet me and we will be talking about all things communications. So Patrick, thank you so much for being here for taking your afternoon to join us. Hi there. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you're inspired to begin improving your communications confidence, well, we'd love to help. Join our monthly communications membership where I teach a brand new communications workshop every single month or become a VIP member to access our best communications articles for life or maybe get one-on-one coaching with one of our board of communicators. We offer so many ways for you to learn and it's all housed on our website, soulcastmedia.com. Check it out and happy communicating.